Well, grab your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. So thankful for Noah and the rest of our leaders, our music ministry, as we worship God in song and their thoughtful and prayerful selection. Um, it's just a, it's a blessing. Uh, that song just tracks right along, and the other songs we sing this morning with, with the themes of, of what we're going to be seeing today in God's Word. So thank you. Thank you to our, our brothers who are leading in that, in that ministry. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1 and read down through verse 8. Our focus today will be verses 6 through 8, the second day of creation. This is the Word of God. To believe this word is to believe God himself. To disobey this word is to disobey God himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you again for this time that you have been so wise to, to give to us. The first day of the week, Scripture refers to as the Lord's Day, for us to gather, to remember your blessed Son, to praise your holy name, to be filled again with the power of your Spirit, and because of Him, to be able to read your Word and understand it. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open my mouth to speak the truth of your Word, that you would open our hearts to believe it, and give us the will and the energy to obey it. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometime in the early 70s, I actually tried to research this, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. A young boy, somewhere around 8 to 10 years old, named Kevin, found himself being beckoned by his father to go out in the backyard of their house in northeast Texas. My dad said, come on outside, I want to show you something. It was night, it was dark, and we had a trampoline back there, and he said, we're going to lay on the trampoline because we're going to see something in a little while. My dad had heard on the radio, I'm sure, when he was probably driving home from work or maybe that day, that that night there was going to be a meteor shower. And so I laid there next to my dad, my young self, looking up into the darkness and seeing, one after the other, meteorites, streaks of light 
just go by. And you'd keep watching and keep watching and keep looking. And my dad would say, keep watching, keep watching. You almost didn't want to blink, right? You're just staring, waiting. And all of a sudden, at the corner of your eye, there was another one. Wow, there's another one, right? And then a little bit later, there goes another one. There's two of them. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how long we lay there watching one after another streak across the night sky. And yes, it is true. The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. I remember looking up and feeling so small, and it was a good feeling. I wondered watching the heavenly fireworks that night. I mean, I couldn't help but wonder if the heavens are so spectacular, so beautiful, so full of awe and wonder, what must, what must its creator be like? What must its creator be like? And then this thought. Could the creator of this big sky, he must be a big God. Could he care for so small a boy and a sinner such as I was? Today we look at the second day of creation and we're going to ask some questions about this text and questions with that small boy in Texas was thinking even back then. The three questions for our text today are this. Who made the heavens? How did he make the heavens? And why did he make the heavens? Number one, let's get started. Who made the heavens? Our answer is simple. Our verse today in verse 6 simply starts this way. And God. And God. Back to verse 1. What does verse 1 start? The whole book of beginnings, this book of origins, this book of generations, this book we call Genesis starts this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the foundational truth of all right thinking. If you get this wrong, everything else goes awry. Everything else gets twisted. Everything else goes off. It goes caterwonkered. It goes wacky. Think of other synonyms for awry. You can't think clearly about the world, about your place in it, about political matters, about everything if you get this wrong. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God alone existed. He is the self-existent one. He alone is capable of ultimate and total creation. I remember one time teaching in Wilmington with my, uh, some of my kids, and I had a fourth grader named Reuben. Often when I'd be teaching in my little small group, I might have four kids around me, and I'm working on math and timetables, or I'm working on reading skills. And often, uh, you probably did this as a child yourself, the favorite pastime of children is to get Mr. Brian off of the subject and to tell a funny story, <laughs> okay, or to get me, or to, let's, let's do anything but the learning we're supposed to do that day. 
And Reuben was a pretty smart kid, and he said, I have a question. I have a question. Well, I'm thinking it's going to be something about, you know, the latest movie or something that he's seen on whatever. And I said, okay, okay, what's your question? And he says, who made me? Who made me? Now, for a moment, I was reminding of the story of the boy who asked his parents, where did I come from? And then after the parents kind of an embarrassed silence started thinking about, oh my goodness, if we weren't ready for this birds and beasts, you know, description and starts trying to work through all these things and they tell him all this stuff. And finally the kid just says, look, you know, my friend John is from Boston. I just want to know where I'm from. <laughs> you know, I don't I didn't need all that. So for a moment I was thinking that very, you know, joke in my head as Reuben says, who made me? So I thought for a minute and then I, I told him, well, you were made by your parents. Your mom and dad made you, okay? Reuben looks at me and says, but that doesn't answer it, does it? <laughs> I go, what? You know, and, he, and uh, the other three kids are kind of looking like, what is he talking? He said, Mr. Brian, who made my parents? I go, well, your grandparents made your parents. And he said, but that doesn't answer it, does it? <laughs> So we went back, you know, your great-grandparents, and finally I gave up and said, look, God did. God made you. God made your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and all the way back. God made you. And then Reuben gave me a sly smile and said, now that settles it. <laughs> it's often been said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We come to these scriptures, we come to this book, the Bible, this library of other books put together and bound and sitting in our laps, we come to it with simple but profound faith. Simple faith, not simplistic faith. If you struggle with the first chapter, the first 11 chapters, as Kenny said a few weeks ago, then you're going to struggle with everything in the Bible. If you can't believe that God created the heavens and the earth in the way that the, the, the scripture speaks, how can you believe that a man raises himself from the dead? How can you believe that a, a man is born of a virgin? How can you believe that God himself inspired holy men of old to write the book that we're reading? It all starts right here in the beginning. God created all things. God created all things. God is the unmade maker. God is the uncreated creator. God is the untaught teacher. Even Aristotle, when struggling with the idea of movement, not being a believer, came up with this phrase for God, that he was the unmoved mover. God is God. That's all we're saying here. God is is God. All wise, all knowing, all present, all powerful, this God was there in the beginning. He existed before history. He existed before the beginning. He is the self-existent one. And the rest of the Bible assumes this is the truth about God. As we look at the Old Testament and, and the book, this book Genesis, when we look at the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, as the New Testament authors comment on the beginning, 
They assume that God is God and that he created the world just as he said in these verses. This self-existent God, uh, the idea of him being self-existent is referred to theologically as his aseity, which means that God exists in and of himself independently of anything else. Listen to these scriptures that attest to that fact. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God is the great I am. Within him, his being is within himself. He looks not other places for his being. His being is within himself. Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This verse underscores God's eternality. He exists from everlasting to everlasting. All the way back there and all the way forward there. From everlasting to what we call eternity past to eternity future, God exists. Psalm 102, 25 to 27, of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. The psalmist looks at his own robe. We were, I was joking this morning with Ben. We were talking about t-shirts and shirts and I was talking about my, my shirt that I was wearing this morning is wearing out. And I was looking at the cuff and the fray there and thinking, oh man, I've got to get rid of this. It's wearing out. Why? Because it's old. It's not eternal. God never wears out. God never gets tired. We never have to throw him into the dustbin or send him to goodwill. Never. <laughs> Savers. <laughs> Wherever. Isaiah 40, 28 have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God never gets tired. Paul, when he came to Athens, and he comes to this place called the Areopagus, where people would gather and learned men would come to listen to people give speeches and talk about these kinds of things. In verse 17, 22 to 28, listen to this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, as you can see him walking along saying one idol after another, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live 
and move and have our being. We are human beings, and our being comes from the divine being, God. Without his being the great I am, and in his divinity, and his eternality, in his magnificence of being who he is, that is where we derive our being. We are human beings, and in him we live, we move, and have our being. Without him, we don't live, we don't move, we don't have our being. Do you understand that if, if God stopped in some way thinking about you, holding you, keeping you, you would cease to exist. The only reason you're here today is because God has you in mind, and your being is a result of that very thing. Revelation 1.8, even to the very end of our Bible, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. God is eternally self-existent. He is the eternally self-existent one without whom there would be no existence. So the atheist evolutionist must believe that something came from nothing. That something came from nothing. Somewhere back in the ancient times, there was some kind of singularity, some kind of bit of matter or energy that existed, this singularity that was there, and it was, it was there waiting. And we know that, that, that a force can't move unless acted on by an outside force, correct? It just stays there. It just sits there. It doesn't move. There is no movement unless it's moved upon. And so the atheistic evolutionist must believe that 10 billion years ago, that singularity had to decide, I'm going to explode. <laughs> I'm going to do something. I'm going to be something. I want to be somebody. I'm tired of being nothing. I want to be something. And so nothing decided to be something and became something in a grand explosion because when nothing wants to be something, that's what happens. That's the cosmic forces of nature at work right there. It just takes a long time. Why does adding billions of years make anything easier? Create out of nothing. Listen to me. If nothing is all there ever was, nothing is all there ever would be. If nothing is all there ever was, nothing is all there ever, there ever would be. No. God was there. He was the grand something. God was there, eternally existing. And then in his wisdom, he created. And this God, our God, created the universe out of nothing, ex nihilo. One day a scientist came to challenge God to create life. It's a joke, I know. It's coming. Here it comes. The science, and God says, okay, let's do it. The scientist reaches down and grabs a handful of dirt, and God says, hey, you make your own dirt. 
God created the dirt to make human life. God created the matter, the energy, the light, the forces, the motion, the movement, all that there is, God created. So who made the heavens? God did. Who made the heavens? God did. How did he make the heavens? Number two, how did he make the heavens? Let's look at our verse again. Verse six, we're making a lot of, a lot of, a lot of track here, a lot of, a lot of motion moving forward. And God said, <laughs> and God said, how did he make the heavens? He commanded it. He commanded it. Notice the progression in our passage. It says, and God said, then after explains it, which we'll get here in a minute to what, what he did, it says, and God made, as if we need to be reminded, God said it, and then God made it. He formed it. He fashioned it. That stuff that he created, matter and energy and motion and time, all those things that are created at the beginning, he now uses that to continue in his creation to form, to fashion, to make. Listen to this progression again. And God said, and God made, and then this, and it was so. And it was so. Psalm 33, 6-7 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Hebrews eleven three, the writer tells us, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God made it all. And we believe it by faith. You can't go back there and see it happening. Science, quote unquote science, can't test this. It can't replicate this. You have to trust the one who was there. You must trust the one who is there, who inspired Moses to write these words. You must trust him, and you must believe these things by faith, by faith. 2 Peter 3, 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God by the word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, we've referred to this passage and we'll continue to refer to it, I'm sure, as we keep preaching these sermons. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, when, when I speak and when you speak, we say our words, they're words. They're just words that, that can speak out of our heart. Our heart comes our, our words out of our mouth, and we can say certain things. But you see, when God speaks, 
His word is completely and totally unlike our words. His word, his word has agency. His word has agency. His word is the second person of the divine trinity, his eternal son. And so when he says, when he speaks, he speaks the word, the word itself, John 1, 1 tells us that that word was Jesus Christ who was with God in the beginning. And that word spoken by God, his blessed son makes all things. And without him was not anything made that was made. So let's look a little deeper into our passage, looking at uh, back to our, our text here, verses 6 through 8. More specifically, what it is and how, he, how he's going about doing this. In verse 6, we encounter the words, then God said. We've said that. And it's essential to keep remembering that creation occurred through the spoken word of God. He simply uttered his commands and everything came into being. Uh, Jeff mentioned it last week uh, that I often say this. It's true. God, God doesn't try anything. He doesn't try to do something. He's not saying, man, I'm, I think I'm going to send Jesus down to save a people. I think he's going to get, I really hope this works. I, 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 you know, I really hope it works. I'm going to try really hard. This is not Luke in Star Wars. You know, trying to move a big rock. And Yoda saying, do or do not, right? There is no try, right? No. No, God, when God says he's going to do it, he does it. When God speaks, it happens. He simply uttered his commands and everything came into being. So as day two began, with the arrival of the dawn, the universe was divided into light and darkness. And the earth existed as an undifferentiated mass of elements entirely surrounded by water. However, God then spoke and said this, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And this is a fascinating development. On day one, the entire surface of the earth was covered by water. That's what the scripture says. On day two, then, God initiates a separation of these waters into distinct realms. And this passage indicates that God created an expanse or a division, if you will, in the midst of the waters. So let's try to break it down for some clarity. So we have water on earth, and now there's some water separated and lifted above. That's the basic idea here. Between these two bodies of water, there's something called the expanse. The Hebrew word for expanse is, I forgot to ask you this morning, rakia. Thank you. <laughs> rakia. Okay, so the word in Hebrew, it's translated expanse. In the old days, they translated it firmament. Okay, but it's a, it's a division. It's, it's an expanse. It, it essentially means a thin, spread out space. To illustrate this concept, consider Exodus 39.3, uh, where they're crafting items for worship in the tabernacle, and they took gold and they hammered it into thin sheets, spreading it out. And the same verb used there for spread out is used for expanse. So there's a, a thin region where God essentially cuts through the water that encircles the earth. Imagine taking a knife and slicing through this spherical mass of earth's elements and creating two parts. 
You still have the spherical part of, of the earth with water around it, but now there's water that's separated above it and water below it. So the water on the earth is being, this expanse is coming between the surface of the earth with, covered with water and then being pushed out away, okay? And this term expanse is used to convey the idea of space. So if you think about, I was trying to think, I mean, I, I woke up in the middle of the night. When you're a preacher, you, you don't sleep well the night before. You wake up often, and I keep telling the Lord, please let me sleep. You know? <laughs> but in the middle of the night, I, I had an idea of trying to think about how this might, I might illustrate this. And I thought of it this way. Think of the earth as a tennis ball. Okay, I'm going to use that. Okay, this covered with water, a wet tennis ball. <laughs> okay, it's all covered with water. And I take that. And I take a balloon, and I, I push that tennis ball inside the balloon, okay? It's in there. And I put that underwater. So now the entire thing is covered in water. The water that's on the ball and the water that's around the ball are all compacted against that, right? And then you take and you put the balloon to your mouth, and you begin to blow, right? Can you imagine God blowing up the universe that way? <laughs> It's an illustration, okay? And so, and so what you do then is what? You have still, the ball is still in there, right? It's still wet. It's still covered with water. But an expanse begins to expand, expand, expand until you have water that's outside. And this atmosphere, in a way, this space, this expanse that is now there between the water of the earth and the water that is out there. God creates this expanse. He creates this separation. And this separation then, later we'll see, is to be used for all sorts of things. Placing the stars, the moon, the sun. In the sky, we, I, I use the term in my notes of heavens because we often think of just the sky as heaven or a heaven. And then there's the heavens outside or space or outer space. And then there's the heaven, which is the abode of God, right? Which are passage here is not really referring to. And so that's the idea. Some of the water was positioned above this expanse while the rest remained on the earth. And this act of separation was a pivotal step in God's creative process. Scripture testifies to these things. Job 37, 18 says this, Can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Could you, could you, create the skies? Could you, could you make this definition, this boundary between the skies and the earth? Could you create that? Psalm 135.5, well, I'm sorry, 135.6, to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. We are not like God. We don't understand. And, that, and that's an area where we have to come to humility, isn't it? We read these passages and we, we say, how did he do it? By his understanding. By his understanding. How did, how did Mary, a virgin, conceive a child, our Savior? Tell me exactly how that works. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle by his wisdom. Jeremiah 10, 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his, by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Psalm 104, 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my Lord, O Lord my God, you are very great. You have, 
your clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. And that's a good ex- example there. Think of the, the earth inside the tent of the heavens, right? That there's the outside there of the atmosphere. There's, there's space beyond that. There is the earth existing there. So in summary, uh, we, we witness a remarkable sequence of events in the first two days of creation. God's spoken word brought forth the separation of light from darkness and initiated the formation of an expanse that distinguished the waters above from the waters below. This meticulous preparation set the stage for the subsequent days of creation as God crafted the universe in preparation for the abundant life that he would soon bring forth. And there's, there's a pattern here. Uh, John MacArthur says of this section of scripture, day one, God separated light from darkness. Day two, God separated heaven from earth. That's what the expanse is referring to. Day three, which we'll see next week, God separated water on earth from dry land. So day one, day two, day three are series of separations. Before God can create light, he has to, life, he has to separate light from darkness and create the continuum of light and dark in the 24-hour solar day. He has to separate the heaven from the earth, which he does on day two. Then he has to separate the water that is now completely engulfing on day one and two. He has to separate that from the dry land so there's a place for fish in the sea and the land uh, life on dry land. Thus the universe is made ready for life in the first three days. An incredible approach. Light from dark, heaven from earth, dry land from water. God creates, then forms, then fills. That's the pattern here. As he does these separations, then God creates, then forms, then fills. So we're still in the, we've had the creation stage, now we're in that that forming stage. So back to our points. Number one, who made the heavens? God did. How did he make the heavens? By his word. Why did he make the heavens? Why did God make the heavens? For his glory. For his glory. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The psalmist here is saying something pretty profound. It's really simply this. You can't shut the sky up. You can't shut the sky up. God has created the heavens for a unique and specific purpose, to bring him glory, to declare his glory, to show his, in, his handiwork. And he says, day to day it pours out speech. It's, it's speaking. It's talking. It's saying, look, look at me. And if you look at me, you're going to see Christ. You're going to see heaven. You're going to see God. You're going to see all the things are true in the word of God. It continues to speak and to teach that there is a God so that no one has an excuse and all are held accountable. I had a good friend of mine who I used to write with years ago who started a website back when websites were brand new, right? And so he started one called 
no such thing as an atheist, right? Because uh, just to bait atheists to come and talk to him, no such thing as an atheist. And people would say, yes, I am an atheist. And it was almost kind of like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know? And why, why is there no such thing as an atheist? Because Romans tells us that. Everyone, everyone knows there is a God. Everyone knows there is a God because the skies proclaim it. The space proclaims it. The heavens proclaim it. Romans 1, 18 through 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is a, a, an act of the, of the moral will. I heard someone describe it once about like your little dog. I mean, I have a dog, and that dog wants my attention. And what does he do? He comes over, and he, he gets, gets up on me, right? And he pushes, he pushes up, and I have to say, down, down. I have to suppress my dog in unrighteousness, right? <laughs> Get down, off. This is what he's saying. When, when, when God's reality in creation is staring at them literally in the face, they see a tree, they see a baby, they see an eye, they see the sky, they see the stars, they see the moon, they, they see all these things. What do they do? They have to suppress. They press it down. They push it down. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19 continues, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, see, no such thing as an atheist, they knew God, they know that there's a God, they did not honor him or, as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their futilish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've been living through these times for a long time. If you, if you doubt that, that, that um, people are becoming futile in their thinking because they've rejected God, just look up how the CDC is telling how that men can breastfeed. And, and, and decent, smart, quote-unquote, people are all nodding along. Oh, yes, that's, that's amazing. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, let's have you on the show today and talk about how you're breastfeeding, you know? You're a man. Or being called a hater because you believe a, a man can't have a baby. You're, you're somehow a hater. You're somehow, no, no, I'm just looking at creation. That's all I'm doing, Right? But it starts with this. It starts with looking at the skies, looking at the tree, looking at the baby, looking at the creation and saying, there is no God. This all just happened. I remember the, the, the great atheist, I shouldn't say those two words together probably, <laughs> the atheist Bertrand Russell commenting on his atheism. He had grown up as a believer, but got to college and started a philandering lifestyle going around and spending time with women and debauchery and all this business. And he said, he decided, look, I can either keep living this sinful lifestyle, which I really am enjoying, 
or decide there is no God. Because if there's a God, he demands something of me. If there's a God, he, he has holy standards. I don't like his holy standards. And so Russell decided, instead of giving up his sinful lifestyle, he would decide there is no God and go on living the way he was. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is, no, there, there is no God. There is no God. And then listen, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. My intellectual understanding and my, my, my bowing the knee to the God who is there, when I reject that and say there is no God, I then immediately move toward abominable deeds. The Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You know, you want to be wise. You want to grow in wisdom. You want to grow in righteousness. It all begins with fearing God. And it's wonderful to lead us this morning, Noah, as we, we thought about that in our reading, or Tim, in our reading this morning regarding fearing God. So God in His wisdom created the universe by His Word, and he formed the heavens to proclaim to all the world that he is God, that he is good, that he is eternal, and that he is powerful. And yes, the God of the universe who can make fireworks in the heavens, the big God who can make the big sky, cared for a small 10-year-old Texan boy. How do we know? How do we know that? We know it because John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, but, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So whether you are a 10-year-old boy lying on a trampoline watching a meteor shower in Texas, or somewhere in the Midwest watching a thunderhead or up in the mountains here in California form there in the mountains or seeing the big skies of Montana or Wyoming or watching a lazy hawk circling on a clear day in Oklahoma. Believe by faith in this God. The God who speaks the world into existence and also does the incredible miracle 
of giving you faith to believe in his blessed son, the living word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, you are an incredible God. Just as we sang, you are a God of wonders. These things are too great for us to comprehend. We can get a hold of it in a way because you, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so help us to have better, better comprehension and understanding of, of you and who you are. Help us by, by faith to grasp the truths of your word. Help us not to be embarrassed by your word as well. To stand for it. To stand for the truth of it. To believe it. We thank you for the living word, your son Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for all of our sins and even makes this prayer possible. We love you. We pray it in his name. Amen.